Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. We're holding <coughs> today in Megillah, we're holding on Daf Tetvav 15, 15a. We finished off yesterday the bottom of Yudalaram Bet. We had mentioned how Yehoshua ben Nun and Rachav Zona had gotten married, and then there were eight Neviim and Neviot that came from their, from their uh, progeny, from their descendants. So we listed who these eight Neviim and Neviot, uh, sorry, eight Neviim, sorry, father and son groups. And then we also said Enchulda. That's really why it was brought into the discussion. But we, the Gemara here takes a little bit of a side topic now and focuses in on who are these eight Neviim that were descendants of Yoshua and Rachav. We just have to remember not to get off track, but we're really we're in the middle of the sugya about the seven Neviot. So we mentioned six of them, and we showed the sources they were Neviot, and we didn't do Esther yet, so Esther we'll get to. But now that we mentioned that these eight Neviim were descendants of Yoshua, so the Gemara wants to show us where do we know that these were Neviim from. So as I mentioned yesterday, these were actually four father and son groups. That's what they were. Just to, to illustrate again, Be'eluhein, Neriah Baruch. So Neriah was the father, Baruch was the son. Siraya and Machasya. So Surayah was the son, Machasya was the father. You go through each of them, it was father and son groups of Neviim. Each one was a Navi. So the Gemara says, Tetvav Moral, top of the page, Bishlama in whom Mifarshi, the sons in all of these groups, and Rashi goes through how we know this, but the sons in each of these clearly were Neviim. We know that. You look throughout Navi, figure it out, they're all Neviim. But how do we know that the fathers in each of these pairs were also Neviim? So the Gemara answers Kid Ula, it's based on a teaching of Ula. Damar Ula, Kol Makom Sheshmo, Beshem Aviv Beneviyut. Wherever you have a situation, it talks about a Navi, and it references him by his father's name. Like for example, it says, Yermia Ben Chaklaya. I think that's that's his father's name. Yeah, Ber Chalkaya, excuse me, Chalkaya. Yermia Ben Chalkaya was a Navi, and it talks about him involves, involved in prophecy. So wherever you find that, you can assume that he is the Navi, son of a Navi as well. It means by connecting him and his father as well to Neviyot, you know his father was a Navi. Similarly, if it says his name and not his father's name, meaning the Navi is only referenced on his own, you can assume that he is a Navi, but his father was not a Navi. In a similar vein, if somebody, a Navi is referenced in the Psukim by his name, but it doesn't tell us which city he's from. So, uh, not clear where his city is. You could assume that he was from that city. One second. Mm. Oh, excuse me, I read that wrong. If it's his name and his the name of his city is clear, sorry, we know he was born in that city. It means if it says Yermia ben Chalkaya and it says the city in reference to him, you can assume he was born in that city. But if it says his name and not the name of a city, so the assumption is he was born in Yerushalayim. So if you ever find the Nevi'im that are not referenced by their cities, you know they were from Yerushalayim. That means a son of the Navi is always a Navi, or it doesn't matter. 
the chain can be broken or not. If the fire is an avi, the, the sun, the sun is going to be an avi. Right? I don't think necessarily. Not necessarily. No, what it but does mean necessarily is if it talks about Yirmiyahu ben Chelkaya. That the father, that the was, father an was also a Navi, uh, exactly. 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 Meaning he references him by his father's name. I believe that's the that's the idea. Okay. One second. Yermian So it's it's a similar idea, nothing to do with uh, Neviyot anymore. But If you have two people in Tanakh and their actions are hidden, means we don't know necessarily if they were righteous or if they were wicked. We don't know their behaviors. Mm-hmm. But the Pasuk writes by one of them in a very positive way. Kegon, for example, in Tzafanya it says, It says, The word of Hashem that was for Tzafanya, Ben Kushi, Ben Gedalia. So it talks about Tzafanya, the prophet, in a, in a positive way. And it references him by his father too. So, You could assume he is a Tzadik, the son of a Tzadik. Even though we don't know anything about his father, but we know that the son had some sort of a righteous life, and it references the son by the father in a positive way, you know that the father was also tzaddik. And if the opposite, it references one of them in a negative way, for disgrace. Kegon, for example, in Yirmiyah, it says, It says, Ishmael ben Netanya ben Elishama, which is referring to the story of uh, Gimel, Gimel Tishrei. We're talking about the death of Gedalia ben Achikam. This Ishmael came and killed Gedalia, which was a negative thing. You know that he's a Rasha and his father was a Rasha. Now we're going to go back to names a little bit because we're just in the middle of talking about names. So Amr of Nachman, Malachi ze Mordechai. Malachi, it's a prophet listed in the Psukim. Who is he? Ze Mordechai. It's actually Mordechai at Tzadik. Malachi. Why was he called Malachi? Because Malachi means like the second in command. He was the second in command and he was important like a Malach, therefore in that way. He was second in command to Achash at least at the end of the story. The problem is the Brayta seems to distinguish between Malachi and Mordechai because the Brayta says, Baruch ben Neria, Viseraya ben Machasya, Vidaniel, U Mordechai. So it says, all these people, Bilshan, Bechagi, Zacharia, U Malachi. So it lists Mordechai and it lists Malachi. Kulan itnavu bishnat shtayim ledaryavesh. They all prophesied in the second year of Daryavesh, who was the, the king of Parasmadai. The point is, what you see is that Mordechai and Malachi are two different people. So the Gemara says, Tiyufta, this is a refutation. You can't say, Malachi is also Mordechai. Tanyam Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, Malachi is Ezra. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha says, Malachi is actually Ezra. Ezra Sofer, who brought the Jews back after the, the Purim story. Chachamim or Malachi Shmuel. Chachamim say, no, Malachi was actually his name. There was a prophet whose name was Malachi. It wasn't another Navi that we talked about. It was a separate Navi. It's logical, like the one who said Malachi is Ezra. Why is that? Because we find the topic of the Neviyot of the two of them, or the instruction of Malachi and Ezra was similar. Because it says regarding the prophecy of Malachi, it says, Bagda Yehuda, Yehuda is rebel, and a despicable thing has been, been done amongst the Jews in Yerushalayim. Yehuda has desecrated the holiness of Hashem. That they have been engaged with the daughters of a foreign god, meaning that they started to marry non-Jewish women. 
And who is the Navi that we know was actively involved in separating Jews from their non-Jewish wives? Ezra, we actually spoke about that earlier. I think we spoke about it here. Ezra was the one after the Jews returned to Yerushalayim. He said, how could we return if you're all married to Goyot? We're all married to non-Jewish wives. And they had to figure out the situation. So we find that the topic of instruction is similar. So therefore Malachi is probably Ezra. Sorry, Ezra Dichtiv, that was Ezra Dichtiv, as it says, from the sons of Elam responded, We have rebelled against Hashem, and we have taken uh, non Jewish wives for ourselves. So, Kitzer, we find that this is the same Navi because they both were engaged in the same struggle or the same behavior. That's the point. Now the Gemara tells us a very interesting idea. The Brayta says, There were four most beautiful women in history. Who were they? Sarah. So Sarah Imenu. Some flipperies flip these around. I believe it's to keep it um, properly chronological. Avigail Rachav. Really it should be Rachav Avigail. Because Rachav preceded Avigail. So Sarah, Rachav, Avigail, Ve'ester. These were the four most beautiful women. Now, we know that we had a machloket regarding Esther. Was she beautiful or was she actually greenish? Green. And Hashem caused her to have a special chen, a special grace. For each one. For Twice each one, person. right. That's so amazing. the Gemara said, According to the Shita who said, Esther was greenish or sickly. Like she had a sickly pallor, a sickly look. So you remove Esther and then you insert Vashti, which is fascinating. You know, the other three, Sarah, Vigail, Rachav, they were, they, they were righteous, either the beginning of the story or the end, but Vashti was wicked through and through, and yet she made the cut here, I'm assuming Esther was taken out. Very interesting what the Pshat and that is, exactly. Tanu Abanan, says the Brightas, this is like Maran Masechet Ta'anit as well. The Baita says these women were so attractive that there was a there was even a uh, trigger if you would associate with these to be involved in immoral behavior. The Baita says Rachav Bishmazinta with her name it would inspire somebody to lust, so want to lust after Znut. Meaning Rachav was so beautiful, she was known to be so attractive that just hearing her name would inspire somebody to want to go engage in Znut. I mean, it's interesting because Rachav, the Psukim and Rashi learns in Yoshua that for 40 years she was Mizana, for 40 years she was engaged in uh, prostitution until the Jews came in. So, Rachav, Rachav, it's very interesting, interesting, until the Jews entered the land of Israel, etc. Why is lust? Lust, lust is, is Tava. Oh, Tava. Okay. It inspires Tava. Her name, just hearing her name alone was already like... Wow. Yael Bekola. Now Yael, which we didn't mention over here, with her voice. Yael is in the story with Sisra. Mm-hmm. You know, Sisra, she went and she was able to kill him when he ran away from Barak, the, the general. Yeah. That was Yael. So Yael Bekola. Yael, with her voice, she inspired lust. Apparently, now it's not clear if it means her singing voice or talking to her. Very un- it's, it's, it's unclear. Avigail b'schirata. Avigail was thinking about her, remembering her. Michal bat Shaul b'riyata. Michal bat Shaul, who was the wife of David, the daughter of Shaul, the wife of David. Actually, Avigail was also one of the wives of David. He had multiple wives. So b'riyata, seeing her, um, would also inspire lust. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Yitzchak added, "Kolo Omer Rachav, Rachav Miad Nikri." 
Unbelievable. Rav Nachman said, anybody, Rav Yitzchak said, anybody that says Rachav the name twice, Rachav, Rachav, immediately will become a Balkari. He immediately oh. experiences a seminal emission. I say it all the time, and it doesn't—it doesn't affect me at all. Somebody that knows her, has intimate relation with her, has some connection with her, that type of a person would be inspired to uh, have a seminal emission if he would say her name. But if you don't know her, uh, it doesn't make a difference. Wow. Now let's move on to the Purim story. That was all really a side point. So the Psukim say, Mordechai knew all that had happened, and he called out. So it says, Yitzhak, he cried out. Now, what all that happened meant, as we, as we had mentioned, we have to, see, in the, the story over here in Megillah, we get caught, go on sidetrack sometimes. So we had spoken about before where Haman wanted to buy the Jews to destroy them. So Mordechai found out, that's what it says at this point in the Megillah story, that Haman had successfully purchased the right to destroy the Jewish people, had made this lottery. Mordechai heard that, and he was tzaak, he cried out. So the Gemara says, Mayamar, what was it that he cried out? Rav Amar, Rav said, Gava Haman, liboshal Haman, the Vachetzin. The heart of Haman has become more haughty, Verosh had list, lifted himself even more than Verosh. meaning Verosh might have been a Sone Israel, but Haman took it a step further where he's going now, on a genocidal rampage against the Jewish people. Shmuel Amar B'Shmuel said, he said, Gavar Malka Ilami Malka Tata. This is a euphemistic language. The, the higher king has overpowered the lower king. And really what it means to say is the opposite, is that the implication is, Chashverosh has, Kiviachol, overpowered Hashem, and the Jewish people are on the brink of disaster. And the Psukim tell us, when Esther sees, what Mordechai did was, he... Um, he came to the gates of the king and he was dressed in, in, in if I remember correctly at this point in the story, in, in a sackcloth, meaning in, in a very un, unfitting way. And Esther sees what he has done, what, how he looks, and it says, Vatitchalchel hamalka. It says, the, literally, Titchalchel means her insides, her cavities became wilted. means she started to have like some sort of an internal issue because of the fear of seeing Mordechai in such a desperate looking state and apparently she wasn't aware necessarily what was going on yet. So my Vatitchalchel, what was this Vatitchal? What did it refer to? Because of the fear, she actually became a Nida. She became a menstruant. It caused her to have this physical reaction to the situation. Rabbi Yirmiya says she needed to go to the bathroom. Either way you learn is like because of the awe or the fear of seeing Mordechai in such a lowly state, clearly something was off, she didn't necessarily know what it was. So Esther called to Atach, who was an officer. Amarav, Atach Daniel. Atach is actually a reference to the prophet Daniel. And he was one of the officers in the palace of Achashverosh. Why was he called Atach? He was cut down. Atach means to be cut down, chopped down. He was lowered from his stature. Rashi explains in the days of Achashverosh, because Belshazzar, this Daniel, was also an officer, Belshazzar, but he was a higher type of officer, but Achashverosh lowered him in his days. Shmuel Amar Shmuel says he was called Atach Shekol Devrei Malchut Nechtachin Al Piv. Actually, says in a more positive light, which is that all the words of the king were decided. Atach means to decide or to dictate on, on the mouth of Daniel, because Daniel was a very valued officer. 
second. There is, uh, just I'm remembering this now, and you'd, you'd bet them would bet, we said, Memuchan is Haman. Remember we said that? Mm-hmm. So Tosafot brings down a Midrash who says Memuchan was Daniel, was actually the, the, the Navi Daniel who was an officer in the kingdom. And Rashi explains, and Tosafot brings this Midrash, because he was married to an officer, a woman who was greater than him, and he wasn't able to compel her to follow his language, he gave the advice to send out that every house, the, 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 the language of the house should follow the man and not the woman. That's what a midrash brings down. It's a little bit difficult to imagine that Daniel the Navi would engage in such petty arguments, but that's a mukhan. Some say that's what he, who he was, actually. Ladat mazev al mazev. He must have been older. I mean, what you're talking he was, about... He was from the time of uh, Bethada. Of Nebuchadnezzar already, right? He was already an officer, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, Belshazzar for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she sent a message to uh, Mordechai to find out what was this and what was this. So the Gemara says this is a reference to something because it's extra language. What is it a reference to? Amra B'Yitzchak Shalchalo. She sent a message to Mordechai Maybe the reason there is this decree is because the Jews have transgressed the five books of the Torah. What, how's that referenced in Mazeva al Mazeh? Because in the Torah it says, this is Kitisa, actually, this week's parasha, I believe. Um, it says, It says, on this side and this side it was written. So, Mazeh and Mazeh is a reference to Mizeh Mizeh, the Luchot, was written on both sides. So, she said to Mordechai, maybe that's why this decree has befallen the Jewish people. Now, what happened was, Mordechai responded what the decree was, and she sends another messenger. Now, it doesn't say that she sent the same messenger to Mordechai. That she didn't want to go in it means initially she said I don't want to go into Achashverosh, but instead it just says the ma- the matter was told to Mordechai, which implies that it was a different person she sent to deliver that message. azal, but he means this Hatach or Daniel didn't go legabe to Mordechai, so there was a different messenger that was sent. Mikan she'ein From this we learn you're not supposed to deliver bad news. This is bad news because she was essentially saying I don't think I should go in. Yeah, but okay, Mordechai said you should go in. So Mordechai told her, no, you have to go in, and there was this back and forth. And then she says to Mordechai, Lech fine, go gather the Jews, and you'll have three days of fasting, and at the end of that, I'll go in with a schut of the rabim like that. And then she says at the end, in the inappropriate way, meaning in the end, I'll go in, even though I wasn't summoned, which is asur, in the malchut, you're not allowed to go into the king, lest you're summoned, but to save the Jewish people, I'll do it. I'm Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba says, They changed the gear, This was different than the previous ruling, the previous behaviors. <clears throat> you can't take that out, but until now, until now, every time she was with Achashverosh, it was compulsion. It was compulsory, meaning she was forced. Okay? But now that she's going into Achashverosh, it's willing. So this is a change from what she had been doing until now. So she told Mordechai, as I have been lost, I will be lost. What does it mean? 
Just as I was lost from my father's house means I was an orphan. Now I will be lost from you. Now what's the emphasis? Because until now that Achashverosh had relations with me, but it was Ba'onis, it was compulsory, I'm still mutar to my husband, to Mordechai. But now that I'm going in willingly, this is Bratzon, if a woman has relations with another man willingly, she becomes prohibited to her husband. So now I'm going in willingly to save the Jewish people, albeit, but still now I'm going to become uh, become prohibited to you, my husband. So the Psukim say, Vayavor Mordechai, Mordechai passed, he walked. So Amarav, what does that mean? Shehever Yom Rishon Shal Pesach Betanit. It means that year they did something against the norm, which was that the first day of Pesach, the 15th of Nisan, was passed in a fast. means they all fasted on the 15th of Nisan. Shmuel Amar Shmuel says, No, it means that he passed a stream of water. Uh, it seems to be that there was this stream of water between the king's palace and the other place where the people lived. He passed over that stream. And he was going to assemble the people to start this fast day. The Psukim tell us on the third day of this fasting. It says, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. Esther. <coughs> One second. <coughs> so Rashi here is important Rashi. He says, Yom Tov Rishon Shal Pesach. He says like this. What was the timeline here? Rashi explains. It's very interesting. The whole Purim story is in a very short time frame. It's like, I don't know if we realize this. The 13th day of Nisan is when Haman had these letters sent out saying that there's going to be a genocide of the Jewish people. But when was it going to be? In Adar. So almost a year away. Yeah, okay. And the 14th, 15th, and 16th, Hitanu, the Jewish people fasted, means it was an immediate reaction. Very interesting. It was an immediate reaction. The Jews began that this whole back and forth between Mordechai and Esther determining what was wrong, what they had to do, was exactly that day. So the 14th, 15th, and 16th they fasted, which corresponds to Pesach, because the 15th of Nisan is Pesach. And in the evening of the 16th, Haman was already hung on the tree. Meaning the whole story where uh, Haman comes in, the king, king can't sleep, it's within these three days. Haman comes in thinking he's going to hang Mordechai, and then already the next day, the 16th in the evening, Haman himself is hung. Now, the end of the story, the Jews go and fight, that's in Adar. Because in the, the, the letters had still been sent out that there would be this mass destruction of the Jews in Adar. So they fight the 13th, 14th, I believe it was the 13th or 14th of Adar. But this whole episode was actually almost a year, a year, before. year before. It's very interesting in terms of the timeline, how the story went. That's how Rashi seems to learn. Let's continue. So it says in the third day, So after three days of fasting, she puts on the royal garments. Now, it doesn't say which would have been the royal garments. Why doesn't it say that? So we mentioned this before. That she was clothed in Ruach HaKodesh. Sorry, we did mention this before, I just realized, right? We mentioned before yeah. is that that's how we knew she was a prophetess because it says that she was clothed and clothed means in Ruach HaKodesh. How do we know that? Because it says by Esther, she was clothed. 
fellow was clothed with ruach with ruach hakodesh. Now, a slight tangent here. said, a person should not take the curse of a simpleton lightly, meaning a curse even of a simple person could be very harmful. Um, Oh, sorry, the blessing. First, the blessing. The blessing of, of a simpleton. Because two great people, Barchum Shnei Hadyotot, were blessed by two simple people. And it was fulfilled. Who is it referring to? David and Daniel. David and Daniel. So David was the king, Daniel was a prophet. David David was blessed by Aravna. This is at the end of Shmuel Bet. The story there goes, actually, it ties into this week's parasha. We know the Jews are not allowed to be counted. So David HaMelech made a mistake at the end of his life, however he under, whatever the reasons were, and he counted the Jewish people, causing there to be a great plague. And that plague caused many Jews to die. So at the end of it, he went and he went to the place of Yerushalayim where Aravna Yibusi, Aravna was the leader there, and he was blessed by Aravna. Tichtiv, it says over there at the end of Shmuel Bet, Vayomer Aravna El HaMelech, Aravna said to the king David, Vegomer, and we know good things came from that. I believe the plague stopped, and that was successful. Vegomer. Daniel de Barche Daryavesh, Daniel was blessed by Daryavesh, who was also a non Jewish king. This was in the story of the lion pit, when Daniel was an officer of Daryavesh, and he was thrown into the lion's pit because there were allegations against him. And Dichtiv, it says in Daniel, Daryavesh said to him, The God that you serve him, Vitadira, continually, he will save you. And, it, and that's what ended up happening. Daniel was saved from the lion's pit. This is the other way. You shouldn't take the curses of simpletons lightly. We know Avimelech cursed Sarah. Now, this was not a direct curse, but it was an understood curse, an implicit curse. Because it says, We know Avimelech in Parashat Bayera. Excuse me. He took Sarah from Avraham because he didn't know that she was his wife. Mm. And when he gives her back because uh, he's punished, it says, I'm giving you money and it should act as a covering for your eyes. <coughs> now the Gemara takes us a little bit out of context there. And what ends up happening is her child eventually has covering of his eyes, which is that Yitzchak Avinu ends up being blind at the end of his life. This is one of the reasons brought down. There's multiple reasons why Yitzchak was blind, actually. Mm-hmm. Amongst them are that when the Akedah was being performed, the Malachim cried, right. and the tears went into the eyes of Yitzchak, causing him to be blinded. Another reason, it says, is that Hashem wanted him not to be able to see, mm-hmm. so he couldn't distinguish between Yaakov and Esav. There's many reasons brought down. This is one of them. Because Avimelech said, it was fulfilled in her children. Yitzchak in his old age, his eyes were dimmed. He couldn't see. Come and see that the character of Hashem is not like that of people. A person... First, he puts the pot on the stove, and then he puts inside of the pot water. It means there has to be some cleat to contain the water. The water can't last or um, stand there on its own. Hashem first puts the water, and then he sets up the pot on the stove. To fulfill what the Pasuk tells us, it says in Yermia, at the sound of, 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 
at the great sound, he places much water in the heavens. Meaning, creation of the world, Hashem first put the waters, the upper waters of the heavens, and then he put some sort of a firmament underneath it, which you could say contains the waters. But the point is, Hashem causes the waters to just stand on their own in a miraculous way. Anybody that says something in the name of the one who said it, he brings redemption to the world. The Pasuk tells us, when Mordechai told Esther that these two people, Bigtan and Teresh, were plotting against him, and Esther related that information in the name of Mordechai, this resulted eventually in the Geula because Achashverosh realized he had to give some sort of a pay a good payback to Mordechai, and then you had the story of Haman leading him through the streets, which was the time, the turning point in the story of the Megillah in a positive way. When a tzaddik is lost, a tzaddik passes away, his generation is really the, the ones that suffer, that lose. It's a parable to a person who lost a pearl. Wherever it is, it's still called a pearl. Meaning to say is, it's a pearl wherever it is. Like the tzaddik is in Olam Abba, He's not losing. He's in, he's in doing great. It's only lost to its owner. So in the context here too, if a tzaddik is lost, the generation suffers ultimately because they don't have that tzaddik in their midst. So Margarit is pearl. Mm-hmm. It's pearl. Um, let's do a little bit ahead. Let's just finish this point. Haman says that <clears throat> when he sees Mordechai every day, Despite all of his wealth and his accolades and his position and everything, he says, This is all not worth anything for me. That's Haman. So, when Haman saw Mordechai sitting at the gate of the king, Amari said, All of this is not worth anything to me. The Bach adds in, uh, sorry, I mean, he learns this as a question. So the, Gemara, the Bach understands the question. When he saw Mordechai, he said, meaning, why is he saying, he has all the accolades, he has all the things in life going for him in a positive way. So what does seeing Mordechai diminish that? Why does that take that away? So rather, it's like Rav Chizda. So there's a backstory here. Haman and Mordechai had a history. Very interesting backstory. This one came with his claim of wealth, and this one came with his position of poverty. So Rashi explains. Rashi explains um, there's a backstory between Haman and Mordechai. <coughs> that even though at this point in the story Haman's looking great and Mordechai's looking very weak, but actually Haman had sold himself to Mordechai prior many days before, for kikar lechem, for some bread. If I remember correctly, the way it's brought down, I don't know where, maybe it's a midrash, but is that, if I remember correctly, is that Haman and Mordechai were officers of different units. And I think if I remember correctly, this is years before, Mm -hmm. Haman, uh, his unit was suffering, they didn't have bread. So Mordechai, who was the head of his unit, asked Haman, if he wants bread, he should sell himself as a slave to Mordechai. And then he would give him bread. Essentially, then what comes out is Mordechai was actually the owner of Haman as a slave, which means all of the accolades and wealth that Haman really owned 
wasn't essentially his, but was actually owned by his master, who was Mordechai. So therefore, whenever he saw Mordechai, it reminded him that all that he's accomplished is not really his on his own, essentially. Amar Papa betalmi. They called uh, Haman the Evid that was sold for a loaf of bread, as I explained. Now, why does he say all of this? When you say this, it sounds like a direct item, something that's near you, on your hand. So, it teaches us, All of the wealth of that rasha were carved on his heart, meaning he would go around as either with actual jewelry or with records of all of his wealth because it empowered him, it made him feel uh, so valuable in that way. When he saw Mordechai sitting at the gate of the king, Amari would say, This is all worthless to me. Okay, I guess we'll stop here at the top of Tetvav uh, Mudbet. There's a big lesson here, happens to be, is that a rasha, like Haman, there's nothing essential that gives him empowerment. There's nothing, he doesn't have anything in life that makes him feel like I'm really valuable. He doesn't have that in life. So the only thing that he could have is he brings around his wealth with him and makes him feel good because otherwise you take that away and he feels like he's worthless. That's, un- that's a very unfortunate reality is that a person needs to rely on their physical items, their, 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 their money, to feel important. And it also so- shows where they're holding in life. It means That shouldn't be what makes me feel chashuv, the car that I drive, the house that I live in. That's not my value. It shouldn't be my value. And if it is my value, I got a problem I need to work on. doesn't mean we should leave, live in a destitute way, in a poor way. But it shouldn't be that's what gives me essential value. That's what it seems with Haman. That's what gave him essential value. And that's why when he saw Mordechai, that stripped him of that value, essentially, he felt terrible. It's, that's, that's the, the wrong that, perspective. That, that was uh, the philosophy of, in the poem of Esav. Esav didn't believe, when you have a Rasha that doesn't believe that there is a life after life, means that everything is in his life, right. this life. And they spend their whole entire life to fill up, you know, a vessel that actually is empty. Like a hole. Go home, yeah, with a hole. So that's why most of the time this guy they always try to fill up, fill right. up, fill up because they always have this feeling of emptiness. Right. Even though they fill up because they are missing the point. Correct. They think that their life is going to end at a certain point. Exactly. And that's it. So they try to <coughs> exist through what they feel, but they are empty. Exactly. Amazing. Okay. That's it's, it's very. That's why you have people who are very uh, wealthy, and they are they are sad. They are right. not happy. Exactly. Because they feel that. Exactly. Exactly. Anything, you know? All right. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Wonderful day. All the best.